0: Well, hello once again. It is good to see all of you. Well, actually, I guess I don't, but it's good to imagine that I'm talking to all of you and hoping that there is more than one of you who's listening to this. Um, I hope that between the time when we last met last night and now, you've had a chance to think about what we talked about, to think about. Do you have evidence for what you believe? Do you have a reason to believe in God? Do you have that foundation upon which to build your faith? And if you don't, I'm not judging you. It's kind of hard for me to judge you from so far away. Anyways, but, <laughs> but if you don't, I'm not judging you. But I am encouraging you to put in the work, to put in the time, to put in the study, to put in the effort, to put in the prayer, to know for yourself whether God is there, whether the Bible is His word, and whether the Adventist church is is the remnant church? So, I hope you had time to think, to pray, and to study about those things. Um, before we get into what we're talking about today, once again, if you'll just indulge me in a word of prayer, Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for our time together. Pray that you will bless as we study your word, as we look at how much you really want to save us, how much you value us, how much you love us, how much you care about us. As we look at that, I pray that you will fill our hearts with love. Lord, we're operating based on the assumption that that you do exist. Lord, I've been convinced of that. I've been convinced through the evidence that you've shown me in your word and in scripture. I guess those are the same thing. But in in your word and in uh, nature and in science and in philosophy, all of these these, uh, fields that point conclusively to you as being creator of the universe. And so, since we're operating based off that assumption, we come to you asking for your Holy Spirit, asking for your power to fill us, to make us more like you, and and specifically this morning, this afternoon, or whenever this happens to be played, specifically for your Holy Spirit to help us to realize how much you love and care about us, how much you want to save us. And I thank you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I have a question. Have you ever really wanted something like, and, and when I say really wanted something, I'm not just talking about like you're driving down the road and you see like McDonald's French fries and you're like, I need it. I'm talking about like really in your heart of hearts, wanting something so much that you're willing to give up just about anything to get what you want or to get what you need. I'd like to tell you a story of a time when I really wanted something, when I really actually needed something, and would have been willing to give up just about anything to have it. I think I mentioned last night, maybe I didn't, but um, if I didn't, forgive me. So I'll mention it tonight. But I, over the summer, the last few summers, I've been able to work in Peru. We do a, excuse me, canvassing program or a literature evangelism program down there. And I also get to travel around to a few different places, uh, in the jungle there. So when I'm in Peru, I'm normally in Pucallpa, but at this point I was in a small town called Lumalind, It's in the mountains in a very remote and uh, rural area of Peru. And while I was there, I noticed on my left leg that I had this, what looked like a bug bite, like a mosquito bite or something. Um, but it didn't go away. It kept kind of festering and growing. And so because I'm a, uh, perfectly stable genius, I uh, took out my pocket knife and lanced it without sterilizing my pocket knife. I know. Medical Lessons 101. Never sterilize your pocket knife before lancing your leg in a foreign country. Actually, don't listen to me because I got my leg very infected. (laughs) In fact, it was infected to the point that uh, you could smell the flesh kind of uh, decaying It's not pretty. I had streaks going up and down my leg, and when you would press on the flesh around that area, it would stay depressed because it was decaying. Yes, if you have a weak stomach, I'm partly sorry, partly not, because I'm helping you toughen up. Um, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But I still didn't know what was going on with my leg because when I lanced it, I didn't really learn anything. And so. Over the next few days, I had a variety of different locals look at my leg, and finally what they realized is that I had an infection of parasitic worms in my leg. And sure enough, before I knew it, not only one hole was open, but there were multiple holes opening in kind of this uh, honeycomb-type pattern around the first hole. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures online of these really weird-looking, like like a a piece of flesh on someone's leg or something, and it just has all these little holes opening up in this pattern. Well, that's what I had on my leg. And not only did I have the worms, but because I am very smart, I had developed quite an infection. And so like I said, the infection was getting into my bloodstream. It was traveling up my leg. You could smell my leg. I was doing everything I could for it but I needed antibiotics and I needed something to kill the worms and thankfully before my leg got too infected after about a week after the first hole opened I was able to travel about 6 hours to the nearest town and I was able to visit a veterinarian who gave me uh, some medicine to kill the worms and I was able to go to a store where I could buy some antibiotics. But before I got the medicine to kill the worms and before I got the antibiotics to kill the infection that I had self-medicated myself with, with my knife, (laughs) um, before I was able to do that, I wanted to get rid of the infection. And I learned something about... Wanting something when you really want something you're willing to give up just about anything for it Had the antibiotics been two or three or ten times more expensive than they were I would have paid it because I didn't want to lose my leg or my life and Had the veterinarian charged two or three or ten times more than he did. I would have been willing to pay it Because I didn't want to lose my leg or my life now to be perfectly honest I don't think the veterinarian charged me anything because he was a friend of the church But the point is, (laughs) the point is, I was willing to give up just about anything I had in order to obtain that which I really needed. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13. And as you probably know, Matthew chapter 13 has a variety of parables in it parables that illustrate what the kingdom of heaven is like. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. It says, Again the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof, goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the field. So there's a man, he's working in a field, I don't know if any of you uh, have an agricultural background. I grew up on a farm. I assume some of you do uh, there in North Carolina. I think there's some farms somewhere. I'm just kidding. I, I don't know much that, that much about North Carolina. Um, but I'm assuming some of you have an agricultural background. So imagine you're out there, uh, maybe on a tractor and you're plowing or you're disking or something like that, and you run across a treasure that is significantly more valuable than the land that you're working. This man knows that the treasure is there. He knows that it's very valuable. And so he's willing to sell everything that he has to buy the field and the treasure and therefore increase his net worth. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. In other words, this merchant man Now, I'm not so much a merchant as I am a farmer, but uh, I can still relate to some extent. This merchant man, he saw this pearl. He knew how valuable it was. He saw that it was actually significantly more valuable than those who owned it knew. And so he sold everything that he had and he went and bought that pearl because he knew it was so much more valuable than that that which he was giving up. Verse 45, again, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like unto this. And... Most of the time when we read this verse, and this is a very fair application of the verse, most of the time when we read this verse, we think, oh, we are the merchant, the kingdom of heaven is the pearl, and we need to be willing to give up everything that we have in order to obtain the the kingdom of heaven, specifically Jesus. And that's a fair interpretation of the verse, but I think there's a little bit more. Turn with me to... Zechariah chapter nine and verse sixteen, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So just a couple of books before Matthew, and as you can see, I'm having trouble finding it myself. You're not the only one. You out there who's having a hard time finding it? I'm with you. Zechariah chapter nine and verse sixteen. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 16 says the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of the people for they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign or as a crown upon his land so it says the Lord shall save them that's his people as the flock of his people for they shall be as the stones of a crown in other words God is using in this passage here in Zechariah chapter 9 he's using a valuable stone or pearl I know pearls aren't quite stones but bear with me okay I'm a preacher I like to just take things that aren't the same and make them the same I'm just kidding Um, (laughs) I crack myself up sometimes too much Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 16 tells us that valuable stones are a metaphor at times for the people of God Malachi. Let's go to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 17. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nehemiah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So right after where we were. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 17. And they shall be mine. Zechariah 3 7. Uh, Malachi, excuse me, 317. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. So in other words, sometimes in the Bible, jewels or precious, valuable stones are a metaphor for God's people. So what if we read what we read in Matthew chapter 13? What if we read that in the reverse? What if we are the pearl of great price? What if Christ is the merchant man who is willing to give up everything he has to buy us? You know my interpretation, in my interpretation of this verse, I'm actually in good company. Ellen White in the book Christ Object Lesson says that the parable of the merchant man seeking goodly pearls has a double significance. It applies not only to men as seeking the kingdom of heaven, but to Christ as seeking his lost inheritance. Christ, the heavenly merchant man seeking goodly pearls, saw in lost met huma- <laughs> Seeking goodly pearls... Excuse me, saw in lost humanity the pearl of great price. In man defiled and ruined by sin, he saw the possibilities of redemption. Hearts that have been the battleground of the conflict with Satan and that have been rescued by the power of love are more precious to the Redeemer than are those who have never fallen. God looked upon humanity not as vile and worthless. He looked upon it in Christ as it might become through redeeming love. He collected all the riches of the universe and he laid them down in order to buy the pearl. In other words, the pearl of great price in Matthew chapter 13, that which someone was willing to give up everything to obtain, that's you and I. And you know what I find very interesting about this passage from Spirit of Prophecy that we just read It says that God looked upon humanity not as vile and worthless. He looked upon it in Christ as it might become. I'm sure you and I have sometimes met Christians or those who claim to be Christians. And maybe they're Christians, maybe they're not. But you've met Christians who look at those who aren't as holy as them as vile and worthless Maybe you've been in that place. Maybe someone's looked at you and you've made a mistake. And the way they look at you, the way they talk about you, the way they think about you makes you feel vile and worthless. But that is not the God of the Bible. Yes, God hates sin. Don't get me wrong. But God's love for sinners and God's love for you and I is so much stronger than his hatred of sin that he was willing to give up everything. To save us he was willing to jeopardize the future and the safety of the universe to save us and I think sometimes you and I as uh, as young people we get this idea that that God is, is is just kind of trying to find a way to kick or keep you and I out of heaven he wants to think of and, and, and find this one sin that you or I forgot to confess, and mark our names out of the book of life. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that God is willing to overlook sin and and, and that we can continue to live in sin. No, we're going we're gonna to talk about that later, but right now what I'm talking about is the fact that the God of the Bible, the God who sent his son to die for us, is a God who is willing to give up everything to do anything that is within his power, which by the way is omnipotent and only limited by our choice, He's willing to do any and everything that he can to save you and I. And so that means that if you and I are willing to trust ourselves to him, he will save us. So many Christians go through their lives with this kind of fear and, and trepidation. I've been there, very much so. Uh, with this fear and trepidation Oh, what if I, what if I mess up? What if I, what if I don't do this right? What if I forget to confess some sin and, and God will have some excuse to kick me into hell? But that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God who is willing to give up everything to sacrifice his own life, his own eternal existence, perhaps. That was, a, that was a risk Christ took when he died on the cross. I hope you realize that. He was willing to jeopardize everything for you and I. And I know sometimes Christians don't act like this. I know sometimes Christians act as if, you know, you as a young person make a mistake and it's, it's just all over. might as well give up. God has no more use for you. And don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not encouraging you to be rebellious young people and, and just to go out there and sin it up. No, God has called us to holiness. But the God of the Bible, the God who is that merchant seeking the pearl of great price, which is you, my friend, that God is doing everything and will do everything, every single thing. And let me say again, everything that he can to save you. And so if Christians in your life or your own personal study or your own conscience or whatever it is that, that, that may be giving you this idea. If, if you have this idea, this picture of God in your head is this vindictive God who just wants to find a way to keep you out of heaven. That picture is wrong. The God I know, the God I serve, the God I love is the God who came and gave everything for you and I. Think back in your minds with me to Genesis. We don't have time to go there, but in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it talks about how God made man. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, it talks about how God set up parameters for man and, and gave him an opportunity to demonstrate his allegiance. Genesis chapter 3 and the first six verses talk about sin and the fall. And Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, right after sin comes, promises salvation. And if you follow the story of redemption down through history, you see that God is doing everything he can to save people. You see that he'll appear in a burning bush to Moses to save the people of Israel. You see that he gives Pharaoh, who was, by all accounts and for all purposes, quite a scoundrel. You see that he gives him many opportunities to accept the truth and to be saved. All throughout history, God is working to save mankind. and more specifically to save individuals and finally you get to Christ himself Christ came and he sacrificed himself on the cross you know we've heard the story but he wasn't doing that because he thought it would be cool to hang on a cross there's no biblical indication that Christ is a masochist rather Christ came down to do that so that he could save you and I. I want to read to you real quick. I know we're running low on time, but I want to read to you real quick from the book Desire of Ages. By the way, if you have not read the Desire of Ages, I know I'm getting myself distracted here, but if you have not read the Desire of Ages, I challenge you to do so. That book is the book where I fell in love with Jesus. I know you can understand Christ from the Bible, and I'm not saying that you can't, but the Bible and Desire of Ages work very well together, and the Desire of Ages fleshes out and paints a very beautiful picture of who christ is so let's go there desire of ages chapter actually i don't know what chapter but page 25 (laughs) says by his life and death christ has achieved even more than recovery from the ruin wrought through sin it was satan's purpose to bring about an eternal separation between god and man but in christ we become more closely united to god than if we had never fallen In taking on our nature the Savior has bound himself to humanity by a tie that is never to be broken through eternal ages he is linked with us God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son he gave him not only to bear our sins not only to die as our sacrifice he gave him to the fallen race in other words Christ Is going to retain elements of his his humanity forever. God gave Christ to us because he values us this much. Desire of Ages, page 25, once again, says Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sins, in which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness, in which we have no share. He suffered the death that was ours, that we might receive the righteousness, excuse me, the life that was his. With his stripes, we are healed. You know, maybe there's someone watching today, I don't know, but maybe There's someone watching today who does not understand how valuable you are. I understand how difficult it can be to truly see your value. Maybe tomorrow I'll talk a little bit more about my own personal testimony. And Believe it or not, I used to struggle a lot with depression. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But suffice it to say, I understand that there are times, especially when you're a young person, where it's hard to see how valuable you are in the eyes of God. I'm not saying we should be all proud and puff out our chest and, and say, oh, I'm, I'm the biggest thing since sliced cheese. That's not what I'm saying. But maybe someone, someone who's listening tonight or this morning or whenever, maybe someone does not see their value. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're worthless. Maybe you feel like you've messed up too much and that God does not love you. But I'm here to tell you with full assurance and very emphatically that that is not the case. Christ was willing to come to die to suffer for you. And he would have been willing to do so if you were the only one. And so I want to challenge you. If you're feeling valueless, if you're feeling like you've messed up one too many times, if you're feeling like you're worthless, I want you to realize that the God of the universe is willing to do anything and everything that he can to save you. Because he loves you with an infinite love and he values you with an infinite price. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you so much that even though each of us are sinners, even though we've all messed up, that you love us. Lord, I don't know where I would be without your love. Actually, I do know where I would be without your love and it wouldn't be any place good. But I thank you for for loving me enough to call me back to you even when I push you away. I thank you for for loving each one of those who are listening enough to, uh, to continue to reach out to them. And so Father, if there's someone here tonight who doesn't sense your love, who doesn't know how valuable they are in you, Lord, I pray with my heart, with all of my heart, that you will be especially close to that person, that you will help them to realize That in you, they have infinite value. Lord, help us not to see you as someone who's just waiting, just itching to kick us out of our chance of salvation. But help us to realize that you are willing to do anything and everything that you can do, short of violating your character and our free choice. Anything and everything you can do to save us. And Father, as we see that love, I pray that you will help us to commit ourselves to you, And to that love. I thank you and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.